The Bible reading for our sermon today is from John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Jesus' interaction with a Pharisee who's on the Jewish ruling council known as the Sanhedrin. And I want you to answer this question as I read this. And here's the question. Who must be born again? Here we go. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. So you meet your new neighbor, and you, you tell them, I'm, I attend Holy Word Lutheran Church. And they think, oh, that's nice. Or you meet your new neighbor, and you say, I'm a born-again Christian. And they think, oh, Lord, of all the people that I could move in next to, I've moved in next to this religious, fanatic, wacko, Bible-thumping, holy roller, born-again Christian. I heard someone say uh, the the only problem with born-again Christians is that they're a bigger pain the second time around. Or maybe uh, before church, you were just uh, catching up with someone else who attends Holy Word here, and you were holding your coffee, and they were drinking their coffee, and they said, yeah... How's it going? And you said to them, I'm just glad to be a born-again Christian. Hallelujah. They would look at you in, in our church like you had lost your religion. Now, maybe if you say that, you're gaining some religion, but we can talk about that later. 78% of Christians say they would not want to live next to a born-again Christian. I just made that up, but... It goes to prove this. 
I think we're a bunch of confused folks about what a born-again Christian is and what it means to be born again. I mean, you have churched people thinking that born-again Christians are like this particular segment of religious fanatics, and in order to be born again, you, you have to be pretty desperate or look for this religious cathartic experience, and that's just kind of a different world. And, and born-again Christians who say they're born-again Christians might start to think that they're just in this upper tier of, of all the Christians around the world. There's like levels of Christians, and they're on the top because they're born again. And those who are born again I think in a lot of ways maybe don't realize it or at least appreciate the benefits of it enough. So let's clear the air a little bit here. Who is a born-again Christian? Who must be born again? And what does it all mean? Jesus actually answers those questions here in his conversation with Nicodemus. So first of all, I want to say this. The term born-again coined, not by a first century monk, not by a TV preacher, not by the Saturday Night Live, not by the Simpsons. The term born again was coined by, well, you, just, you just heard it read in John chapter 3, Jesus. Jesus coins the term born again. And, and he does it in his conversation with Nicodemus, where he wants Nicodemus to be thinking and asking these questions. Who must be born again? What does it mean to be born again? How does that look in my life? Now, Nicodemus didn't come to Jesus with those questions, but Jesus reframed the conversation to answer those questions as Nicodemus came to him. And basically, Jesus said this, Nicodemus needs to be born again. Does that surprise you? Nicodemus needs to be born again. Think about this. In this moment, Nicodemus wasn't really having a deeply emotional, cathartic experience. Nicodemus wasn't looking to improve himself in religion or to, uh, to gain some kind of higher morality, maybe a more rigid black and white morality that born-again people tend to gravitate toward? I mean, Nic who's Nicodemus? Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council, and therefore, Nicodemus has some of the highest moral standards in society. Nicodemus is not a person who needs more morality, higher morality. He already has it. Nicodemus doesn't need church. He's already a church member. As a matter of fact, he's a, he's a leader of the church. He's a, he's a ruler in the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus has not bottomed out in his life, and he's not poor and desperate. Nicodemus has none of the characteristics that a person on our street, or maybe us, would say, oh yeah, they all need to be born again. We would not say that of Nicodemus, and yet, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he's extending that call to an unbroken, highly moral, well-churched person. You must be born again. I in studying this 
John chapter 3 this week, I guess I'd have to say this, that being born again is not a call to religion and morality. It's actually a challenge against it. Nicodemus had religion. Nicodemus had morality. Jesus didn't say to him, be born again, because he needed religion and morality. He already had it. So I believe Jesus is actually challenging his religion and morality in this sense. Jesus says to Nicodemus, everything that you're bringing to the table as a person who's highly religious and highly moral, Nicodemus, you bring that to the table here, and it's worth nothing, zero, nada, in the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you served as an altar boy when you were eight years old, and you regularly attended youth group. In college, you didn't drift away from the faith like most college kids do. In your young adult years, you, uh, you, you, you grew in your faith, you, you grew in your, your maturity, your, your, your charity, you, you regularly gave to the building program, you, you gave offerings in church, you attended regularly, you even became a leader, you, you volunteered in the community, you delivered meals on wheels. Jesus is saying, none of that matters. I don't need it. It doesn't help as far as you entering into the kingdom of God. None of it. That's the challenge against religion and morality when God, when Jesus says, be born again. So who must be born again? Nicodemus. Everybody must be born again. You must be born again. Jesus, when he says that, by the way, to Nicodemus, it's, a, it's y'all. It's, it's a plural you, and Jesus is, in the Greek, you can tell the difference between you's guys and just a singular person, you. Jesus is, is, is saying, all of you, like plural you, need to be born again. And that includes, of course, Nicodemus, but Jesus is widening the scope, and that scope widens to us. Uh, I want to talk about religion and morality for a second in that and that new birth, that call to be born again. Uh, I, took a, I took a trip to the Holy Land, a study tour to the Holy Land this spring. Um, and I've told some of you the story, but it really hits uh, on the head here. Uh, and I'm going to confess in public, don't tell this to my mom, because my mom was the one who brought me on the Holy Land trip with her. But I really wasn't looking forward to going on the Holy Land. At, at first I was. At first I was excited. And then as it drew closer to the trip, I was like, I don't need another trip of traveling. I've traveled enough lately. I just want to be at home. I want to get ready for our church's outdoor Easter service. I'm, and, and honestly, part of that was me thinking, I don't, I'm not one of those people who needs to go to the Holy Land. I know my Bible enough. I'm close enough to Jesus. I've studied the Old Testament in the original language of Hebrew. I'm not one of those people who needs to go to the Holy Land. I'm highly moral and highly religious. I'm even a pastor. But I went kind of because I had to, because, well, I had a ticket. And I discovered in the Holy Land, well, my, my, actually, my discovery wasn't, although we went to holy sites, my discovery was more about myself as I visited the Holy Land. I became a pilgrim of my own soul. 
And I realized that I was pretty proud and pretty self-righteous by thinking that I'm not one of those people who needs to go to the Holy Land. And in his grace, Jesus made me one of those people realizing that I'm the perfect one who needs to go to the Holy Land because I had thought that I didn't need it, and I really did. Nicodemus I approached Jesus, probably not thinking he needed to be born again, but he, but he did. And, and Jesus is saying, that, Nicodemus, this isn't just going to change your perspective. I mean, the Holy Land changed my perspective, but so much more. It changed who I see myself to be, spiritually speaking. It, it changed me. So Jesus explained to Nicodemus that he needed that kind of change. He didn't just need information. That's what I was thinking the Holy Land would be, information. And I thought, I can Google Jerusalem or the Sea of Galilee and look at pictures and even videos, and it was more than that. It wasn't just information. It was transformation. Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Nicodemus, he's saying, your human instincts are still very much part of you. And when, when a person is baptized or converts from unbeliever to believer, you don't lose your human instinct. You don't lose that until you go to he heaven, right? That sinful, selfish, naturally greedy human instinct that's part of all of us. The Bible uses the word flesh. That's what it means when the Bible uses that word. That's our flesh. When we become a believer, that comes right along with us. And it's happy to be along for the ride and to pull us down whenever it can. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you may be highly moral and religious, but you still are flesh. Your mommy and daddy gave birth to you as a, as a sinful human being, and you're still, even highly religious and moral, you're still a sinful human being. Nicodemus, you need more than information. You need new birth. And spirit gives birth to spirit. So new birth is not, not a reformation. Uh, new birth is a transformation, becoming actually a different person. Uh, a, a new self, a better version of yourself, that's what new birth is. So the Holy Spirit gives that. That's where Jesus says, who must be born again? You must be born again. Every day, you and I need to be born again. Um, now, I want to be clear here. Born again of water and the Spirit refers to baptism. And baptism is an inaugural event that initiates a person's entry into the kingdom of God. That's how we get there. Normally, as in our church circles, as infants, we're baptized that brings us into the kingdom of God. So, new birth, or being born again, is no less than baptism, but it is much more. Because baptism is not just something that you do historically and take a picture or, or have a certificate, put it in a book, and forget about it the rest of your life. I love uh, Martin Luther's explanation of baptism. He has four parts. I'm just going to read the fourth part where Martin Luther in our catechism explains what baptism is, and, uh, and he says this, What does such baptizing with water mean? It means that the old self in us should, by daily contrition, big 
theological word contrition, right? That's just being real, real honest with real sorrow over your sins. It's the first part of repentance. It's not all there is, but it's, it's feeling bad for hurting God with our sins, right? should be daily contrition and repentance. That's the faith that believes in our forgiveness, contrition and repentance, turning around from sin, that our old self should be drowned and die with all sins and evil lusts, and that a new self should daily come forth and arise who shall live before God in righteousness and purity forever. I talked to a mom this week. All her three kids, ages five, three, and one, they are scurrying around playfully, having fun, good kids. And uh, her, I knew her husband was being deployed. And so, uh, so I just asked how, how, how that was going, where he was. I didn't see him around. And so I, I just said, um, where is he? She said, oh, he's, he's actually in, in his pre-deployment training right now in the States. And I asked, well, training for what? Kind of worried if maybe, I don't know if I should ask that question or not. Maybe top secret. She said this, training to survive being captured. A young mom with three little kids is standing there and telling me that her husband and the father of these three kids is being trained by our military in the event that he's captured by the enemy in the Middle East. Is that not real or what? I mean, this is not, folks, this is not going to the dentist and signing the waiver when he's, right, giving you a filling and you sign the waiver that says, you know, the dentist giving you a filling, he, he may hit a nerve, you may die, yeah, a lot, yada, 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 fine. So I sign the waiver, put my filling in, we're fine. This is not that. This, this is the military training this young man and telling his wife and kids, he may not make it. He may be captured and... and the likelihood of that is so high that we have to give him training just in case that happens. And that made me reflect on Memorial Day weekend and, and the military and what our military service men and women do for us and the pain and the sacrifice that not just military service men and women, and, and, and I know Memorial Day is, is remembering the ones who have given their lives, not just veterans, but given those who have given their lives in service. That's pain and sacrifice, but the pain and sacrifice of this mom and the three kids have been saying he's being trained in case he's captured. And it was, it's their pain and sacrifice so that I can live freely in my country as a citizen of the United States. Their pain and sacrifice, not mine, my freedom because of their pain and sacrifice made me appreciate her and him and that family. And it made me think of this. There's pain and sacrifice all the way when it comes to Jesus giving us new birth and new identity. Uh, verses 14 and 15, here's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. You, you may be familiar with the story that Jesus is referring to. You may not be, but back in when, when God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and then they were wandering through the wilderness to the promised land, as they wandered through the wilderness, they grumbled and complained to God. They, weren't, they, they couldn't eat leeks and onions in the desert like they had in Egypt. They were worried. They, they were uh, losing faith. They grumbled. They complained. God corrected them. They grumbled and complained again. God corrected them through Moses again. They grumbled and complained again and again and again. Finally, God had had enough, and he said, I have to increase my measures of discipline here so that these people don't complain themselves to hell. And so he sent poisonous snakes, bit the Israelites, and as the deadly venom of the poisonous snakes was coursing itself through their veins, killing them, God told Moses, make a bronze snake and put it up on a pole, and any of the Israelites who looks at the bronze snake will live. They will not die. Snakes will not kill them. That's what Jesus is referring to now when he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Can you visualize Jesus being lifted up on the cross? And all who have the, the poison of sin coursing through our veins, all who are inflicted with the certainty of death in this world, who look to him will not die, and we will be forgiven, and we will live. And, and did you hear Jesus for the second time here? Look at these words in verses 14 and 15. He had previously told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And now what does Jesus say about himself? I must, you see it there? I must die so that you can live. I must be lifted up onto the cross so that you are not pulled down into the pit of the, of the ancient serpent, the devil. All right, Jesus. Right, here's another command, another example of Jesus giving a command, and always, 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 when God gives a command, he gives a promise to back up that command and allow us to do it. Here's another example of Jesus saying, you must be born again, but I must, I must first be lifted up and must die. So new birth requires pain and sacrifice. And Jesus says, my pain and sacrifice, your life of freedom. I'll take the pain and sacrifice. I'll give you birth. Right? This is exactly like birth, right? Right? I mean, think of your birth, not in, the, not in the experiential way because you really weren't thinking about these things, but, you know, the, the minute you were born, but now you can look back on it, and some of you uh, moms have given birth, and some of you dads were there watching, and if you're like me, you hyperventilated and you fainted. Uh, it, it's hard. Being a dad in labor and delivery is hard work, but it's harder work being a mom. You talk about pain and sacrifice, Right? Who, who owns the pain and sacrifice and the blood in giving birth? Mom does. Who benefits from the birth and it has, act, has done nothing actively, has been only a passive recipient of the entire program and process? The, the little baby. 
right? New birth requires pain and sacrifice. So Jesus says, you must be born again, but he's saying, I'm going to provide the pain and sacrifice for your new birth. And then our new birth promises us a new identity. When you are born again, you're not you anymore. When you are born again, you're not your old self. Your old self is not in control. Your old self tries to tell you what to do, tries to be dominant, and your new self says, no, I'm not you anymore. I'm me. I'm the new me. I'm the born-again me. I'm the new birth me. And what did Luther say? We do this every, every day when you get out of bed and put your feet on the floor, you have a decision to make. Am I going to approach my day as the old me or the new me? Right? And it's Jesus' pain and sacrifice, and it's your baptism, and it's this new birth that says... There's no reason for you to approach your day as the old you. You don't need the old you anymore. Jesus doesn't need the old you. Your family doesn't need the old you. Nobody needs the old you, but the old you is going to tell you that it's very necessary, that it's very needed. And you can say, that's not me anymore. I met Glenn at the gym he asked if I could spot him on the bench press, which means you, you, stand, you hold the big bar and you help, it, help get it off the rack so the guy who's lying down there can lift it up. And then when he's too tired and he can't lift it anymore, you know, you help him pull it, put it back on. Uh, and I realized why he, it's, it's very common to ask people, right, to spot you, to help you at the gym. And, uh, but I realized he, he asked me a, a, a little bit differently. Uh, there's a different reason why he asked me. Um, he had a prosthetic arm. He had a fake arm. And I had to get really close to see. But So here he is on the bench press, lifting like twice as much or three times as much as I could ever. And uh, he, his, he's lifting this heavy bar up, and this is, this is all fake. But he gets his fingers around that bar there. This is real. And so he said, just when you lift it for me, just pay attention a little more to that side. He said, once you give it to me, I can do the lifting, but I just, it's just awkward getting it onto that hand. We got talking, and uh, talking enough where I asked him what, what had happened. Why, why do you have a prosthetic arm? He said, explosion, military. And I thanked him for his service, and we talked some more. He had a cross necklace. We talked about Jesus a bit. I could see in Glenn's eyes pain, Sacrifice, hurt, some confusion, fear, courage. He courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is walking with fear. And I also saw hope. Here was this man whose, whose life had been changed. And because he was willing to serve my country, because of his pain and sacrifice, I have a different identity, a better identity as a citizen of this wonderful country than I would have had without him and others like him, especially those who have given their lives. His pain and sacrifice, my new identity, 
But let me tell you this. Part of the kingdom of God, part of Christian living, is not just other, pers- other people's sacrifice, right? Jesus says it fully well. Unless you are willing to take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You know this full well. Your life is full of pain and sacrifice too. But my pain and sacrifice does not win for me sometimes what I want it to win for me. It doesn't put me in this privileged position to be able to say, I don't need to go to the Holy Land. That's for other people. My pain and sacrifice simply reminds me that I'm living in a troubled world and that I need help handling it. And it means that I'm firm in my faith enough to say, give me the trouble if that's what believing Jesus means. And so I'm telling you this story because I, I saw in Glenn a man whose life had changed because of that moment, because of explosion military. And I could tell he didn't want to talk about it much more deeply than that. But he was living with it. It wasn't owning him. His trouble and his suffering, his personal pain and sacrifice has not become his identity. He's at the gym and he's bench pressing 250 pounds with a fake arm. He had to have a muscle from another part of his body actually removed and put onto his arm. And it was his, I think his like thigh became his bicep. And it kind of looked a little awkward, but it, for him it worked. You, you get it? He has a new identity even in his own pain and sacrifice. Why? Because his identity is, he's a born-again Christian. He has a new identity because of Jesus' pain and sacrifice, and that any pain and sacrifice in our lives, even the glens of this world, even the young military moms and wives of this world, any pain and sacrifice doesn't come close to Jesus' pain and sacrifice, which gives us our real identity. And when God looks at you and asks himself, who, who's that? Who are you? Without hesitation, he says, ah, that's my perfect and holy, redeemed child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus and given faith by the Holy Spirit. Who needs to be born again? You do and I do, every day, as we walk in our baptism and live in our new identity. And we're not the old us ever again. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, can we be Nicodemus, please? Can we be the religious people who are, we're glad for our religion, but it does things to us sometimes. It puts us in a place where we might, might think that we're more entitled than, than our sins make us to be. Can we be Nicodemus, Jesus? Can you say those words to us? Yes, you can, even as you say them to Nicodemus and to all of us today, that you must be born again and that you, must be, that, that you Jesus, must be lifted up on the cross. Be lifted up today in our worship, Lord, in our own hearts, in our own lives this weekend. Be lifted up higher and higher so that we believe more and more as we look up to you. And as you say and promise, those who look to you in faith are saved. 
Thank you for making us new people, for giving us the new identity of rebirth and renewal in the Holy Spirit through baptism. Help us, Jesus, to live as our new selves today and the rest of our lives and to leave the old us behind. For we are born again. Amen.